So many of us go through life wanting more, believing if we just had more stuff, more things, more money, then we'd be happy. The problem is, we don't realize that what we have isn't who we are. Instead of trying to get rich, we must realize that we already are rich. So with God's help, it's time to be rich in what matters most. So this is our new series, How to Be Rich. If you're a guest, you showed up in a money series, sorry. Uh, hopefully it'll be, uh, it'll be a good experience for you. But as we get started, just a real quick question. Uh, how many of you would say, I could benefit from a little bit more cash flow, right? A little bit more in my paychecks, lots of people, way too fast, okay? You're not getting cash today. Like, I'm not handing stuff out, but I'm glad you're excited about that, right? This isn't a TV show. I'm not Oprah. Um, but how many of you would say, yeah, you know, a little bit more cash would be great. Now, if you kept your hand down, it's either because you're nervous about raising your hand in church, or maybe you can answer this question. Is there anybody who would just own the fact and say, you know what, I actually don't need cash, I'm just loaded, right? I'm just, we want to come trick-or-treating at your house, we got some fun, some fundraising to do, I don't see many hands, maybe I'm just missing them, right? But in church, we don't tend to own this fact, but we're going to talk, walk right into the middle of it and say, hey, how do we be rich? How do we get to the point where we can say and own the fact that we're rich? And so today for just three quick payments of $29.95, you're going to get everything that you know. I'm just kidding. No pyramid schemes going on here, none of that. But what we want to do is to talk about this idea that wealth and money matters, right? In scripture, Jesus talks about wealth and about money and about finances more than he even addresses heaven or hell. And part of that is not because Jesus wants our money. He doesn't need our stuff, but there's a spiritual relationship between money and between the things of God. The place that it occupies in our hearts. And so I think if we're all honest, if we just were to sit down over coffee and have a conversation, there's a piece of us that would welcome and be okay with if we were just kind of self-sufficient, right? If we were rich, if we didn't have to work, if we had enough funds to pay all the bills and still had some money left over, I think that we would agree that that's aspirational. We would like to be there. But again, in church world, as we talk about those types of things, we get to feeling a little bit guilty, really, really quickly. I mean, is it even okay to talk about being wealthy in church? I mean, anytime I think about wealth when it comes to church, anytime the subject of rich comes up, I always think of one story. It's the story of the rich young ruler. How many of you guys remember the story of the rich young ruler, right? The guy comes up to Jesus and he says, hey, good teacher, what must I do to get into heaven, right? To earn eternal life. What's the, what's the action step? What's the plan that I have to do to be able to make it into eternity? And do you remember what Jesus says? Jesus says, well, then let's go with everything right? Keep the law, do all the things that are in the Old Testament, love God, love people. If you do all that stuff, then you'll get into heaven, which is enough for any of us to go, wow, I've got some work to do, but not this guy, right? What's he say? He says, yeah, check. Did that. Got it all done. Love everybody. Got it. Keep all the commandments. Yeah, I'm good. What else you got for me? Jesus says, oh, okay. That's, you know, bold of you. He says, how about this? Why don't you take everything that you own, all of your possessions, sell them, give them to the poor, and then come and follow me. You remember what the story records there, right? That the rich young ruler goes away very, very sad, right? He's pouting. He's upset at Jesus's answer. After all, he did all of the stuff that was required of him. He kept the entire law and the prophets, at least in his estimation, right? He loved people. He loved God. And Jesus says, eh, you're still lacking one thing. And he goes away sad. And then Jesus has this kind of aside teaching, right? Pictured as this rich young ruler is walking away dejected and upset. And he turns aside to his disciples, right? These 12 guys that he's invited to come and follow him. And they've given up everything. They've followed that call. And here's kind of his comment to them. 
Then Jesus said to his disciples, Truly I tell you, it is hard for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. We all know this, right? You're good church people. You've seen this before, right? Rich people don't make it into heaven. That's the translation that we take from this passage, which is why when the pastor asks you if you're rich, you don't raise your hand because there's one of two ways this is going to go. Number one, we're going to talk about this story, or number two, you're going to get hit up for a donation, right? We just don't do that in church. The translation is clear, right? Rich equals bad. The good news is that the disciples would agree with us this morning. The disciples respond to Jesus' question by saying, who then can be saved, right? If this rich young ruler who checked all the boxes, had everything taken care of, couldn't get in, couldn't make it into heaven without getting rid of all his resources, the disciples say, what chance does anyone have then? What chance do we have? Jesus, of course, has something for them. He looked at them and said, with man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Which leads us kind of to maybe a point that we can just camp on today, and that's that a heart possessed or a heart that possesses great wealth requires a great miracle. This is what Jesus says. He doesn't say it's impossible. He sets up an impossible scenario, and he goes, yeah, that may look difficult, that may look impossible, but with God, there's a way in. Jesus says there's a loophole in the system. Jesus knows a guy who can get us in the inside of the pearly gates. Don't worry, he's got it taken care of. And not only does Jesus say this, but Paul also says the same thing. Remember, we've been talking about Paul and some of the letters that he's written. Paul is this serial church planter who, after Jesus' death and resurrection, goes around planting churches and teaching about Scripture. And Paul has something to say about rich people, about what it means to be rich in this current life. And so he calls in his disciple, Timothy. This is the guy who's going to take over the church planting business, as it were, his pastor in training. And he says, hey, Timothy, I've got some special instructions to give rich people. Rich people? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Special instructions for rich people. You're just going to tell them to get rid of all their stuff? No, 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 no. It's better than that. I got good news for you. Here's the news that I have from God for rich people. First Timothy 6, verse 17. He says, hey, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasures for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, so that they may take hold of life that is truly Life. I, I love the way he ends that, to take hold of life that is truly life. The invitation here is not to say that riches are bad and rich people are bad, but is to invite them into a conversation and to go, hey, you're chasing after and pursuing. You've been blessed with things that feel like life, but Jesus has a way to show you life that is truly life. And it starts with generosity and sharing and not just being rich in wealth and monetary terms, but being rich in good Deeds, And so that's the direction for our series. We're going to camp out in those couple of verses in 1 Timothy and pull them apart and apply them to ourselves and see where they fit in. And here's the good news, right? It doesn't necessarily hit home for us. Because if I asked you, remember at the beginning, I said, are you rich? And all of us kept our hands down, right? So that's good news, right? He, Paul has commands for rich people, command those who are rich. Whoo, off the table, right? We don't have to worry about it. I'm not rich after all. Thanks for those instructions, Paul. That sounds awesome, but uh, I'm off the hook, right? I don't qualify in what you're talking about. So there's the end of the message, right? I mean, since we're here, 
Maybe we should like just define what, what rich means, right? Let's just have just a, a goal out there that we can say, what does it mean to be rich? Can you put a dollar amount to it? Can you put your annual salary to it? What does it mean to be rich? You know, when do we like cross the line? Like, like today I'm not rich, but then I had a payday and now I just, right, I got $10,000 in the bank. Guess what, guys? I'm rich. Just had to let you all know. $100,000 in my 401k, I know. We're rich now. We're loaded. We've got it taken care of. Where's the line that we cross? Because if we're real and if we're honest, I think that rich is kind of on a sliding scale. Am I right with that? It's always something that's not quite here and always out there somewhere. For instance, it's my son's birthday today, nine years old today, big birthday. And let me just tell you, as a matter of perspective to my nine-year-old, I'm rich, right? Like I am loaded when it comes to my nine-year-old's brain. Right, because we go to the store and we spend money on groceries, and the bill comes up to like a hundred bucks. Hundred bucks in his world is a year's worth of picking up dog poop and taking out garbage and all kinds of other stuff. And he's like, "Dad, you're spending a hundred bucks just on food. Can I just have like this five dollar toy?" No, why not? Because we don't have the what's the word? We don't have the the money for it, right? No, you can't have the five dollar toy. We don't have the money for it. But Dad, you're dropping a hundred bucks. On food, on PB&J. I don't need that stuff. Just buy me the toy. And unfortunately, for those of you who've maybe worked with Liam and kids or maybe you've seen him walking around, he's a little too smart for his own good, if you know what I mean. So we're having deeper conversations now because he goes, it's not that you don't have the money, Dad. I know that you have the money. We could go to the bank and get more money. You do that all the time. Yes, we have more money, Liam, but when we spend money on those types of things, now we're having budgeting conversations. We don't just get to spend our money wherever. We have to spend our money intentionally on things that matter so that we have money for the things that are important for us. And so we're having all of these conversations about what it looks like to have money, to be wealthy on some perspective, but to still have areas where we need to grow. And it's been a fantastic conversation, but I say that just to illustrate this idea that rich is kind of always on a sliding scale. Maybe you can rewind with me a couple of years. When Melissa and I first got married, I remember we sat down to craft our first budget, right? We got married in college, right? We were high school sweethearts, I know. Uh, big deal. So we sat down. We're dual-income college students. Yes. Um, Three-bedroom house, $250 a month. Praise Jesus. And so in that moment, in that season, we're making $20,000 a year and going, we could use a little extra cash. And I remember we had this conversation about now that we're married and the direction that we're going and going, okay, what would it, what would it look like for us to, to be blessed, to use our resources for kingdom purposes? Like, what's the amount of money that we need? And we kind of had that conversation. You know what? I think that if we just had $50,000, annual income, dual income people, $250 rent, I think if we made that, we'd be rich. We'd be made in the shade. We'd have money. We'd be building orphanages in Africa, $50,000 a year. We'd have so much money, we wouldn't know what to do with it. Fast forward, right? We've been blessed in our life to make that much money together working. And, uh, you know, two kids, uh, the rent's gone up just a little bit, you know, since then. And now all of a sudden, $50,000 feels tight, right? It doesn't feel rich at all. Now that we're at $50,000, $75,000 seems like a little bit more. And, and the, the way the conversation goes is we fill in those gaps with bills and with resources and all those kinds of things. And so rich ends up being, by definition, just a little bit more. Just a little bit more than I currently have. Then I'd be rich. Not where I am right now, but if I just, just a little bit 
just a little bit more. Then, then we'd be rich. Then we'd be able to maintain all of these things. But the problem is that life keeps happening. The rent keeps going up. We keep adding things to our resources, and the money just keeps getting tighter and tighter and more stretched and more stretched. And so when we have a conversation about how to be rich, it's easy for us to go into that and go, not me. We're not there. And here's the real kicker. I think that we have the same attitude towards our generosity, which is in that scripture verse that we just referenced. Command those who are rich to also be generous. And we put generosity on that same sliding scale. What does it mean to be generous? Well, it's kind of different for everybody. And I'll be more generous. I'll be more giving with my resources and my finances when I have just a little bit more. When we're just a little bit richer, then we'll be able to have more money to be generous in giving with our funds and our finances. Unfortunately, you already know how this works because statistically the data simply doesn't add up. More money does not make us more generous. Let me illustrate that to you. The most generous percentage of people in America, according to a 2012 research uh, group that was done, makes between fifty dollars and $100,000 annually. People in that income bracket, on average, generously give 6% of their income away to charitable contributions, which is wonderful. It's about $2,000 annually. But based on our reasoning, what we're talking about, the more money you make, the richer you get, the more generous we should get, right? Now that there's more space, more time, we should be able to be more generous in our application. The average American that makes between $100,000 and $200,000 annually only gives away 4.2% of their income. Maybe a larger dollar amount, but the reality is that when wealth creeps in, when we get more money and more resources, our generosity does not increase, it decreases as our hearts become increasingly more preoccupied with the stuff that our money can buy us. Americans who make over $200,000 annually give right about $14,000, which is fantastic. That's so much more than the people in a lower income bracket, except that it only represents 4% of their annual income. So the reality is that more money does not make us more generous, right? The command that this is where Paul commands Timothy to talk to people who have resources and to say, hey, if you're rich and wealthy in this generous age, that's great that you have that, but don't put your trust in that wealth. Instead, contextualize that and figure out how to put your hope in God. It says, command them to be rich in good deeds, to be generous and willing to share, because as we gain more resources, that's not our heart's natural proclivity. The more that we get, the more that we want, not the more that we give away. See, money in and of itself is not evil, but it is a key indicator to the disposition of our heart. And what's inside our heart, the thing that occupies our attention and our focus and our heart's desires, those things eventually go from the inside to the outside. And we see that portrayed in the data, which I think would mean that if we were here today, we could all agree with Paul and with Jesus and say, you're right, somebody needs to talk to those rich people. It's not us though, right? Somebody needs to go after them. Somebody needs to tell them that's exactly what those rich people need to hear. After all, without God, it's impossible. They need a miracle to work in their heart and in their minds, and so we need to be about that. So I'm going to invite you to go on a little journey with me. You can take out your smartphone now, actually, if you want to, and uh, we're going to go to a website, and uh, this, this may not be exciting for you. It may be exciting for you. I thought it was eye-opening. You may, I don't know, come along with me. It'll be fun. Uh, so you can text this number if you just want a link to show up in your inbox. Um, I won't hit you for a donation afterwards, I promise. Um, you can text RICH to 303 562 
and you'll get just that link uh, coming to you, so you can just click on it from your smartphone there. We're going to go to a website called Global Rich List. Now, before you play around on that website, there's two questions in your bulletin, two questions that I just want to ask you briefly. I want you to put a number to this, right? If rich is a sliding scale and it's always just a little bit more, let's put a number to it, okay? So, number one, how much money do you think it would take you to be rich? What's that number? It can be annual income, it can be money in the bank, you put down whatever figure you want. Um, be honest, don't stack the deck, because then that's not going to be fun. Um, you know, if you say $30 million, then, you know, of course you're going to be rich, but maybe you can get there in your lifetime. If so, let's have lunch after this. Um, so write down annual income, money, any of that stuff, write it down in your bulletin before you get there. Second question, in the simplest of terms, what percentage of people in the world would you say, that's probably the line for rich? You know, would you draw it like 50%? It's like the bottom 50% of the world is poor, the upper 50% of the world is rich. Or would you say, yeah, maybe like top 25%, top 10%, uh, maybe it's those one percenters, right? The top 1% of the world is where people would have to start being rich. So now we're going to go on a little journey together. I encourage you, if you've got that link, you can go there. You can either type in your annual salary, you can type in your net worth, whatever you want to do, and you can do this on your own. I just found some marginal statistics that kind of apply to all of us. So median income in Centennial, Colorado. We are technically in Centennial, although you have to like drive through Aurora to get here. But we're in Centennial. So I Googled it. What's the median income in Centennial? Medium income in Centennial is $88,598. So if you put that in as your annual salary into global rich list, statistically, that would put you in the top 0.09% of the world's population. Not the top 1%, the top 10th of a percent based on the average median income in Centennial. If you're thirsty, uh, 53 cents, nailed it. If you're thirsty, you'll earn enough every 46 seconds to buy yourself a Coke while a laborer in Indonesia would take two hours to afford such a luxury. Here's the one set that really just blew my mind, that our, your annual salary could fund 544 doctor's salaries in Malawi. Translation that none of us really want to see or look in the mirror and see, but if you live in Centennial, Colorado, and make the median income, any way you slice it, you're rich. Top tenth of a percent. Well, thankfully, you live in Aurora, right? We're talking about Centennial. That number seems a little inflated. Uh, so let's do Aurora quick. Median income in Aurora is $52,275, which means you dropped a whole two-tenths of a percent to the top 30th percentile in the world. Translation, if you live in Aurora making the median income, you're rich. Well, let's go with Colorado in general. If you are at the poverty line in Colorado, that means you're a family of four making $23,830 a year, you are in the top 2.28% of the world's population by annual income. Translation is, if you live in Colorado, chances are likely that you're rich. So I've got a proverbial good news, bad news situation for you this morning. Here's the good news. You're rich. Congratulations, right? You found the line and you crossed it. You can all go out and party this afternoon. You're welcome. Uh, I'm just here to help. But good news is that we're rich. We've been blessed. The simple fact that you can afford to live here, that you were born in the United States of America, that you live in a suburb of Denver, Colorado, means that you are rich. No matter how you slice it, no matter how you break it down, we may have rich expenses also in the midst of that, but you're rich, which 
leads to some bad news. What's the bad news? You can already guess it. The bad news is you're rich, right? Which means now we have to go back through all those scriptures that we just excused ourselves from and to really look at ourselves in the mirror and go, so what does it mean? Is Jesus talking to us? Is Paul talking to us? I mean, I don't think that we live exorbitantly, right? I don't, I don't see any of us buying gold-plated toilets, any of those kinds of things. So is this really what we're talking about? The rich young ruler, Paul's words to Timothy, and I think that that's what we're going to spend the next couple weeks unpacking a little bit together, is to take into account this fact, this idea that based on any statistic that we can pull, we're rich, which means that we should learn how to be rich, how to be good stewards of that, because most Americans statistically are bad at being rich. Most Americans don't follow through with the generosity that they think they ought to do. Most people have a hard time following Jesus as wealth increases, which means if we are going to identify ourselves by sheer data as being some of the richest people in the world, we should learn what that means for our faith, for our ability to do what God has called us to do here and now, and to be a people that honor and respect the Word of God and its place in our lives. Because here's Jesus' words, I tell you it's harder for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. But there's good news. The good news is that Jesus says, hey, while that may be impossible from a human perspective with God, it's possible. And I don't know about you, but as I did this research and kind of came down to it, I came to the conclusion to go, well, if I'm rich by every data point that I can find on the internet, everything that I can put in there, then I should learn what God expects of me as a steward, right? That story that Billy told is a fantastic segue to learn how to invest the resources that he's given me, he's entrusted to me to make a difference for his kingdom. And that we should take seriously Paul's words in 1 Timothy where he says, hey, if you're rich, don't trust in wealth, but figure out how to trust in God despite being wealthy, despite having enough to get by. And instead of just being rich in earthly goods, let's figure out how to be rich in good deeds, how to be generous and willing to share. And if you'll stay with me for these four weeks, I hope that what we achieve is how to find life that is truly life. We're not after your money. God's not after your money. That's not the point of this series, but the point is to come face to face with a scriptural reality that Jesus talks about money and he talks about its place in our heart and he talks about how it can impact our eternal destiny. And I think that means that it's worth our time to explore and to have an in-depth conversation about the role in which money plays in our spiritual lives. So I hope you'll join me as we have this conversation, how to be rich, and we dig a little bit deeper into 1 Timothy and those verses that I shared with you. We're going to close with one more song. I'm going to invite the band to come up. And as they do, I would just encourage you to take a moment of silent reflection, of quiet reflection, maybe with your spouse. Maybe you just want to bow your head and close your eyes and just have an honest conversation with God. Again, I'm right with you. I don't feel rich. This conversation didn't make me feel like I suddenly have more money, but it did make me go, wow, God, what, what do you expect of me? What do you expect of what you've given to me? What am I accountable for? And God, if I, if I truly am rich in not only the world's eyes, but in your eyes because of the blessings that you give to me, then, then what do I do with those? What do I do with those blessings? I would encourage you to go to God and to ask him those questions. 
to be open and honest with him about your financial reality and to go, man, you may say that I'm rich, but I don't feel that way. I don't feel like I've been blessed. I feel like we're barely getting by, and I don't know how I'm going to deal with this conversation. The reality is that I think God has a word for us. I think that there's hope for us in the midst of the place where we live and the people where we live to uh, not sell everything and move to Africa. I don't think that's what God is calling all of us to. He may be calling someone in here to do that. But the reality is that I think God wants to teach us how to be good at being rich, how to be good with the resources that he's given us, how to make an impact in the world and the people around us. And so I just encourage you, I challenge you, I, I dare you to go to God and to just ask him to reveal some area, some way in which you think that this conversation might be beneficial, not only in our pocketbooks and our checkbooks and how we go throughout this world, but spiritually, that we might attain life that is truly life. Heavenly Father, God, we ask for your presence now as we continue this conversation. God, as we carry throughout it this week, may we, may we be reminded of the incredible blessings that you've given us, how loved we are, how well cared for we are, and the simple fact that we get to live here in beautiful Colorado. God, that's a blessing. And so, God, as we explore a little bit about the place that money plays, not only in this world, but in our spiritual reality and in our personal realities as well, God, I just ask for your grace to be present, God, that you would instruct us and teach us, that you would convict us of areas where we need to be convicted on, and that you would encourage us and give us perspective for the path and the journey that we need to take as we move forward with you. God, go with us now this week. Help us to carry the message with us as we go about our days and remind us that despite everything, we're blessed. And yes, we're rich by the most basic definition of it. And that means that we've got some work and some learning to do. God, would you gently instruct us in these matters and help us to not only be rich in wealth, God, but to be rich in good deeds, rich in the ways that you've blessed us and to be generous and to be willing to share. And so to somehow attain life that is truly life. Heavenly Father, we love you. We praise you. It's in the name of your son, Jesus, and the power of your Holy Spirit. All God's kids said, amen. Amen.